Hello, my dear audience. I hope you can hear me. It, it sounded like there was interruption. Uh, I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's toolbox. I just wanted to say, finally, the telephone system is working. But now I'm not certain if it is working. I hope it does. Uh, I was told that they fixed it and that I can receive your calls. As I told you in the past, I have taught for decades a lot of courses and workshops, but always facing people. And it, though I've been doing this radio show for a little more than a year, I'm still not used to doing this kind of a show where I cannot see a person, see people that I'm talking to. So at least I was able to connect with you. You could call me and suddenly we didn't have this connection for the last two shows. And I was told that by now the telephone system is fixed. So of course, today's show will be an open mic show. Anybody can call if you have a comment or if you have a physical or emotional challenge that you're dealing with, I will do my very best to talk to you and see if I can help you out in any way. You can call with questions regarding health, wellness, conflicts, stress, anxiety, depression, anger, cancer, asthma, any physical or emotional problems you may be facing. Remember, my specialty is mind-body integrative approach to healing. But before I start our show, I have some news to share with you. And unfortunately, it's not good news. I don't even know why I feel like sharing it with you, but I do. I had here a regular listener uh, who called many called in many times. His name is um, Michael Collins. Uh, then later he organized for me an interview with Dr. Joel Wallach. If you remember, we had Dr. Wallach as a guest two times. Michael Collins worked with Dr. Wallach's organization. Michael and I became friends. We're the same age, uh, have the same interests. We could probably spoke on the phone once a week or maybe once in two weeks sometimes. And I told Michael that he was an inspiration to me. He had a number of physical challenges, real disabilities, but he never complained, never made uh, any disabilities stop him from looking forward to yet another endeavor he wanted to be involved with, another course to take or another lecture to listen to. A little more than a week ago, he went to a hospital for a regular procedure that he was going once a week. I don't know all the details, but here is what I do know. At the hospital, they test everyone for COVID, and they found that he had COVID. He was COVID positive. Uh, remember, that was not what brought him to the hospital in the first place. He felt just fine. I spoke with him 
two days later, when we was, he was already on the ventilator from whatever treatment they administered to treat his COVID. Because they started the treatment. Everything escalated within two days. This last Friday, Michael Collins died at 9.15 in the morning. May he continue his journey wherever he is. Um, he was an incredibly positive and strong person. You know, there was this movie by Albert Brooks called uh, Defending Your Life. Maybe 20 years ago it came out. And the idea was that when you go to the other side, the only criteria by which you are judged is whether or not you lived in fear. And for sure, Michael did not live in fear. May he continue his journey again, wherever he is, and continue to inspire us. He definitely inspires me and all of us who are still here with his zest for life and knowledge and his courage. By the way, something else about Michael. A few weeks ago, I told Michael that I wanted to offer my audience uh, to you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, at no charge, four week course that I would teach on internet, on Skype. And I asked Michael, man, any idea you have of what would be the most appropriate course to offer these days to people? And he quickly answered, understanding the dance of life. Subtitle, relationship with yourself and others. And I love the idea. So I will do just that. I'm offering this free course now in honor and memory of my friend Michael Collins. It will be held on four consecutive Mondays, Monday, uh, March 14th, March 21st, March 28th, and April 4th, from 7.30 to 9.00 p.m. It is limited to 10 people only because it's on Skype. And I don't like to have big groups because I need to be able to interact with people, get their feedback, speak to them. So it's first come, first serve, as they say. Those who write to me first will register for the course. Please do me a favor. If you know in advance that you cannot attend all four classes, and they're all connected, one depends on the other, uh, do not register because you will be taking a space for somebody who would possibly benefit by taking the full course. Send me an email to uh, Dr. Peter Resnick uh, at gmail.com. D R P E T E R, another R E Z N as Nancy I K at gmail.com. Again, Dr. Peter Resnick at gmail.com. And include your Skype name. Uh, if you do not have Skype, it's a free download. It's very easy. I've been using it since 2003. Uh, as you set up your Skype account, you will get your username. And then you need to send me an invitation, and it's very clear, uh, clear how to do it, to be friends. 
you can send it to me. My Skype name is Pomnipeter. P O M as Mary, N as Nancy, I as ice cream. Peter, P E T E R, Pomnipeter. Uh, this short course will be about inner exploration, getting to know all parts of yourself, and then choosing through mental exercises to assert and encourage the power and commitment of those parts that you consciously choose as the ones that you want to govern your life. Again, my email to register is drpeterresnik at gmail.com. And now, finally, uh, we have an open mic. The telephone number to call here is 888-874-4888. Again, 888-874-4888. If anybody wants to call with comments or questions, here is your time. Are there any callers? Not at this time. No. So then, ladies and gentlemen, since we don't have callers, uh, then I will simply continue our journey that we started a long, long time ago, almost a year ago, if you remember. Uh, the journey uh, through the six pillars of well-being. Uh, if you remember, I think I mentioned in the last uh, on last show, uh, the six pillars of well-being, which is uh, a program that I created, and I'm making now uh, the program as a book, though it takes me a long, long time, much longer than than I thought it would be. And we already went through fully four, four pillars, and we are now on the fifth pillar of well-being, and that is our conscious attitudes and uh, character traits. So far, we covered guilt, judgment, ingratitude, jealousy, doubt, worry, expectations, arrogance, and anger. I spoke about anger, that is the last time I spoke about this six pillar of well-being, and again, it's a very, very long program. Uh, last time I spoke, it was about anger. I spoke, I looked up September 23rd, 2021, which means, what, five months ago. Uh, I question at times, frankly, you know, I talk to you people, and sometimes people call in, sometimes, as I say, people send me emails. But um, did anybody notice that I paused on talking about six pillars of well-being? Does anybody care? Nobody wrote to me, hey, man, you stop talking about it. Uh, do you want me to continue? Is it an interesting subject? It seems to me, when I spoke, and you know, somehow magically with, with the technology of today, 
they can tell you how many people listen uh, and then how many people downloaded the program. It seems that when I spoke about all those characteristics, all those character traits, a lot of people were listening and a lot of people were downloading. But on the other hand, when I stopped talking about it, nobody wrote to me and saying, hey, we want you to continue. So again, I don't know what what uh, you people want. And as I said, I am kind of an insecure uh, radio show host. I'm 67 years old. I've been teaching for over 40 years, but only uh, talking to people in person. I've spoken to people with groups of hundreds of people uh, and with small groups of three, four people, but always looking in their eyes. So now I'm talking into the air. I'm talking into the computer. I don't see anybody. So is it something that interests you? I mean, refining qualities of yourself. Or as my teacher of blessed memory, Colette, would say, climbing the ladder of yourself. Because dealing with the fifth pillar of well-being, it's just dealing with yourself, with your conscious beliefs and attitudes, and your character traits. Again, I am talking about this. I will continue talking because, you know, this is a show has to continue. And I have time. So I will continue talking. But please, if anybody wants to have uh, to, to ask a question, call immediately. I have no problem. I will pause talking about whatever I'm talking. Uh, and I will be happy to take your call. So I demonstrated, I think, last week to you when I spoke about research done by Dr. Hans Ising. I remember I spoke about the research of 13,000 people uh, who were divided in, in several groups and groups so a group of people who were angry and group of people who were depressed. And so what Dr. Ising demonstrated so well is that not refining such states, not changing such states as anger or depression may lead, uh, or I should say, not may, for sure, leads to serious consequences, ruins not only our emotional, but physical well-being as well. Uh, so far, all we have to conquer, and remember, we have six pillars, so we're now only in the fifth pillar. So all we have to cover within the fifth pillar now is apathy, vanity, greed, and denial. Um, I want to say, though, so today I should start with apathy, but I want to say a couple of words about anger. And it's something, as I said, we spoke in September, back in September. I want to say a little bit more, because just the other day I saw, uh, virtually, I, I work only on, on Skype or FaceTime, I saw a couple, wife and husband, 
for consultation. And I observed how they spoke to each other. And it was so sad to see. They spoke with such anger, you know, and they spoke about something that happened a long time ago and neither let go of what made them angry. And I, I tried to interfere and bring them to the present moment to what brought them to my virtual office, and yet they would not stop. So I would suggest if you're dealing with, uh, with an issue of anger, first listen to uh, that show that I, I uh, had in September. Also buy a book written by Marshall Rosenberg called Nonviolent Communication. It's also known as NVC. It's a technique that is actually taught at the United Nations about learning how to communicate in a way that uh, both parties are satisfied. Uh, not carrying that anger. Remember, when you choose not to carry the anger, you're not just liberating the other person of your anger, you're liberating yourself. Yeah, as, I, as I was just talking to something came to my mind. Uh, something happened, uh, I don't know, many years ago, my mentor, Dr. Gerald Epstein, may he rest in peace, uh, and I were walking on the street. And, and, and the car, it was, it was our way to go, which means it was green. But the guy from from the left was like cut us off and nearly missed hitting Jerry. John from Florida is on the line. Uh, okay. Uh, please, I will, I'm ready. Would you, I didn't hear you, the, his John, name. John from Florida. John from Florida. John from, from Florida, you're on the air. Hello, uh, John. Yeah, I, I was, yes, can you hear me okay? Yes, yes. Okay, good. Well, I just had a question about this Michael Collins situation. It seems odd that he went into the hospital feeling okay. They diagnosed COVID-19. They did whatever procedures they maybe should not have done. And he's on a ventilator and he's dead in two days or three days. I mean, it sounds like a very strange, uh, I mean, more, more details would seem to. Yeah. John. The, uh, help us understand how somebody goes in the hospital feeling okay and a few days later they're dead. Yeah, John, I, I, I feel this way too. I spoke to Michael's sister. Fortunately, when Michael started, uh, was on ventilator and he answered the phone, I could barely hear him. And I said, Michael, I want to keep in touch with you. Can you give me, you know, I know you have a sister. Can you give me her telephone number? So because she she is close, she lives close to the hospital. I live far away from them. And he gave me his sister's telephone number. And I spoke and I cannot talk about details. But unfortunately, uh, I heard a number of stories like this. This is just something that touched me personally. But it sounds John, it, it's strange to you. It's strange to me. Well, I mean, are hospital records available to the family so they can at least have some idea of the? I am uh, sure that's what they will be doing. Also, I know well, might, a lot of people just accept 
uh, that, you know, that's the way it is and they're not interested. But the, certainly the rest of us who hear stories like this, we, you know, would like to know okay. more information since, because it's a very suspicious situation. Yeah, John, since you brought it up, I will tell you something. I will not be giving names, you know, but in fact, uh, I, uh, Michael told me on the phone that they give a certain, certain medication. Uh, you know that now they have monoclonal, monoclonal antibodies, but they are scarce. Many hospitals don't have them, but they work well. But they did not give it to Michael. Instead, he said to, to me that they're going to give him a particular drug that I know I listened to the lectures by Peter McCullough, who said that this is a very bad drug, particularly it's damaging to kidneys. And Michael... Remdesivir. Yes. And, and, and Michael had... That's what was bringing him every week to the hospital. And I said, I reminded... Um, I spoke to Michael and he said, you know, I know this is a bad drug. I told them I don't want it. And they gave it to me anyway. I spoke to to Michael's sister, so I'm sure that his sister will uh, and his family will deal with it. So I, I I totally agree with you, John, and and it's so so sad, so shocking. He's a new friend. Well, I would say uh, it, it's like being in a war and there's collateral damage or collateral murder, as they say. Uh, you know, this is a situation where people are doing things to people in hospitals. And a lot of people just accept it and ha always have. I mean, you go back 100 years, but it just seems like, I mean, it doesn't seem there is this idea that they know what they're doing. And a lot of people accept that. And, uh, you know, I was in the hospital almost a couple of years ago and they told me I was going to die and I was going to die soon. And whenever I hear anybody use the word you, I'm immediately suspicious because they're a person who's thinking only of the body and not the being. So you, are they saying, well, are you, your body's going to die? So I asked the lady who said this, and uh, I said, are you talking minutes, hours, days? She goes, yes. And so I said, oh, that's uh, okay. So do you believe in God? And she goes, yes, I do. So I don't say anything else because I've got two uh, IVs in my arm, and they could come in in the middle of the night and put happy juice in me. So I'm not going to argue with anybody in the hospital ever because... Yeah. You know, they, they, they have the ability to do things out of vengeance that they want. So I'm, I'm very nice and polite, but I realize they don't have any concept that the numbers keep going, that the being inside of a, or, or inside, outside, whatever it is in a person, the body is only, you know, our vehicle here at this level of existence. But I guess that's too much of a concept for them. So the doctor comes in later and she says, I see you're not taking your pills. And I said, well, they're making me sick. So she says, well, you better get used to it. So I know that she personally had been talking to God because only God would tell somebody that kind of, you know, you, she didn't say what kind of pills or what's, what's the reaction or what's it doing, or let's look at your chemistry. She didn't say anything else. And so and she was busy. So she left the room. Then, uh, you know, sometime maybe a year later, I went to see a cardiologist mm -hmm. and he goes, uh, how come you're not taking your pills? And I said, well, they told me I was going to die, so why should I be sick and die? So he laughs, and he goes, well, that makes sense. 
And he's looking me over, he's looking over my hospital papers, and he keeps shaking his head, and he goes, you know, you're an enigma. I don't understand why you're still alive, why you're still talking. I mean, you know, you... And, you, and, chose, you chose life, John. You chose life. <laughs> well, I, I'm not a person who sits around eating and drinking and smoking and, you know, doing a lot of things that are very popular today. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe it's the fact that, you know, we, we're all different. And But the thing that really got to me was he used that word enigma. And that that's like... That's not a, a, a word you, you learn in necessarily medical school. He didn't say, I want to investigate this. I'd like to find out why you're doing so well and my other patients are dying. He didn't say anything like that. He says, I don't really need to see you again. So here's a guy, and it was very nice. He spent 45 minutes with me, examined me, touched every, you know, he did this. Did that. I don't understand. I don't understand what's going on because your hospital papers are like really, you know, uh, you could die any minute. So it just seems like, they're not really getting the picture of the natural. They're looking for the unnatural, the pill, the bill, you know, the burial, that yeah. kind of procedures. And uh, well, I've said enough. I, w I want to say something to you. You reminded me of something. In 1995, I joined, I became a staff member of the Shakta Center for Complementary Medicine. And we had a lot of, we were the biggest or one of the biggest centers of alternative treatment of cancer. A lot of physicians, but who chose to use alternative treatments like uh, liatril, uh, vitamin C, and so and so on. And I was sitting in a, in a waiting room, and uh, so the person next to me didn't know who I was, what I was doing there. And so we started talking, and so I said him, to him, what, what brought you here? And he said to me, and it was in not too far from Nyack, Nyack, New York State. So it's um, a big hospital. And he said, well, 10 years ago, I had cancer. And it's a form of cancer. I now, I don't remember what form of cancer, so I will not make it up. But he said, the doctor said, you have three to six months to live. But if you want, you can join a study, experimental chemotherapy. And we take only 10 people. And he said, I, I thought about it. First, I agreed. And the last moment, I decided not to do it. I heard about the Shakta Center, the center where I worked. And I called them and I said to them, I'm not going to do it. But they already said they needed 10 people for the study. And, and so anyway, he said, I, I chose not to do it. I quit. <laughs> and so he quit. And he went to the center and he started the treatment. And the whole year passed. He was still com coming every other week, paying money for vitamin C and for liatril and for different minerals and not, all not cheap. But he was fine. He was fine. He was healthy. And for whatever reason, he needed to go to, to the hospital. He went to that hospital, Nayak Hospital, and he met the nurse who was actually uh, gathering information for that particular study. And he asked her, how many people are alive from that group? And she said, none. So this is... A person who chose and that, and that was considered a success, probably a successful uh, uh, study. 
I don't, I don't know what I'm they're joking. I'm maybe, joking. Maybe, I'm because, joking. maybe because maybe some people live not not for six months, but eight months. But this man that I was sitting next to, just like you, chose life. The best thing is to stay. And anytime you talk to a person, you hear a story where something was done in the hospital that, that is kind of scary. Mistakes are made. And by the admission of uh, uh, JAMA, Journal of American Medical Association, I think over 200,000 people die every year from medication taken or administered as prescribed, which makes physicians number three after uh, uh, cardiovascular problems and cancer, number three killers in the United States. That's the data. So if you want to be healthy, I still I don't I don't want to say hospitals <clears throat> hospitals are no no. Sometimes in hospitals they will save you if you're in a critical situation, particularly if uh, there is a big trauma. People Well you have to go into a hospital knowing more than they do and make sure that they don't do something that is uh, questionable. Because they can do good things, but when they make a mistake, it can cost you suffering, pain, your life, whatever. So, or your body's life anyway. So you have to go in there with a lot of knowledge. And then even when you're in there, you have to keep studying and learning and trying to figure things out because they're not really trained to investigate beyond a certain point or beyond a pill or beyond some procedure there, you know, that they just do over and over again. And your individualized medicine is what counts. So right. In fact, there are two books, one called How to Come Out of the Hospital Alive, written by a physician who happened to have a heart attack and became a patient in his own hospital. The other book is written by my nephew, who is a physician, Oleg Resnik, and the name of the book is Secrets of Medical Decision Making. At that time, he was in a hospital in Portland, Oregon. After he published the book, <laughs> within three months, they got rid of him. He is now, thankfully, he is in the East Coast, and I'm very happy that he's closer to, to me now. But that's how serious it is. When you speak up, when you tell the truth, you pay the price. Anyway, thank you very much, John, for calling. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Thank you. And thank you for the show. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Any other callers? Not at the moment. No. Okay, so let me think of where we were. Oh, 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 yes, yes. I was telling you a story uh, about anger. It's actually a funny story about me <laughs> uh, staying with anger. I was with my mentor, Dr. Gerald Epstein. We were crossing the street, and the car was some kind of, uh, he was supposed to let us go, because for us it was green light. And he brushed by Jerry, and Jerry yelled, hey, you! <laughs> and so then uh, we continue walking, and I know Jerry usually is a cool guy. Uh, you know, he doesn't yell, with, and I'm, in my mind, I'm talking to myself. Well, first, that Jerry yelled so, so uh, loudly, that Jerry actually got angry. And then I say out loud also, but this guy is really, and 
gave him some names. Look at this, what's going on in in New York City. They really don't respect uh, any any rules. And I go on talking, <laughs> and Jerry said to me, let me tell you a little story. And I still remember the story. He said, two monks were walking, and uh, Buddhist monks, and suddenly they saw a woman was trying to cross a stream that was ra raining, and the stream was kind of a little deep, and uh, she was just standing reluctant. And the older monk walked over to the woman and said, can I help you? And she said, of course. And he lifted her in his arms and carried her to the other side and let her go. And then they continue walking together. The, the monks. And after a while, after some silence, the young monk said, Master, Master, how could you do that? And the older monk said, how could I do what? He said, don't you know, we took a vow of celibacy, we must not touch women. And you carried this woman, you lifted her in your arms, your chest was touching her body, her breath was on your lips. One of your arms was holding her legs. The other one was embracing her back. And the old monk said, my son, I lifted her and let her go. And you are still carrying her. You understand the meaning. So the same thing happened with me. Jerry got, got angry at the, for a moment, yelled at the, at the driver. And let it go. But I was the one who was still carrying the lady. I was still the one who was carrying the anger. Uh, anger at the driver and also judgment of Jerry that he got angry. Uh, he got angry for a second and he let it go. And so that was many, many years ago, probably 30 years ago. But I still remember the story. And uh, Somehow, why it came to my mind is because of what I saw yesterday, this couple uh, that were arguing and they were bringing up things that happened 10, 15 years ago. It's totally irrelevant. It's just absolutely irrelevant now. And yet they would go on. They came to see me. Supposedly, they also want my input. But for some 10 minutes, they, I could not say a word. So it's very important to deal with the now, with what is. Uh, so if you want to address something, first of all, it must be never accusatory. You must say something like, there is something I want to share with you. Uh, or can I... Can you give me some time because I need to tell you something? And it has to be always about I. I feel this way. I feel that way. Not you did this to me. Or particularly, you never tell a person what that person thinks. And so often people do that. So it's very important. The best is to let go of the past. Very often, I hear that when people argue, 
uh, argue about something that happened a minute ago, they begin to bring in things that happened years ago. So it becomes a whole big war based on nothing. So I have a little exercise for you, if you want um, to use it. That is it for situational anger, meaning, let's say, uh, something angered you about a person uh, that you care, or just anybody. Remember, caring that anger is unhealthy for you. Anger resides in you, you are the one who pays the price. Remember, the Buddha said, being angry at someone is like grabbing a handful of hot coals to throw at them, whose hand burns first. So you want to get rid of anger in, in, as soon as possible. And remember, anger comes as a feeling, sensation, or an image, like you want to do something. The moment you feel anger, identify where it is in your in your mind. It can be somewhere in your chest, in your, in your throat, uh, in your stomach. And that moment, you immediately slowly breathe out. Remember, you do not breathe in, you, do, you breathe out. And sometimes people say, how, how can you breathe out without breathing in? Absolutely, it's possible. Look, we speak on exhalation. Now, I'm talking to you right now, I'm still exhaling. When I stop, I will still have some air to exhale. Listen to this. You see, I spoke, gave you a long sentence, and yet I still had some air to exhale. The reason it's very important to exhale before you uh, inhale is because when you inhale, you stimulate your sympathetic nervous system. You get yourself more excited. But when you exhale, you stimulate parasympathetic nervous system, you stimulate a quieting nerve called vagus, which goes from medulla from your brain to the heart, lungs and stomach. So that's why the moment you feel that anger, what I want you to do, forget about the content. Forget about what made you anger. Don't think about what it is. It's irrelevant. Just like if, the, if you were shot, and the bullet is in your, in your hand or in your body, and you think, did it come from the left or from the right? It doesn't matter. You need to take care of bleeding, you need to take care of the wound, you need to get, take, take that bullet out. Or maybe it's not the best example, because nobody's now shooting bullets that stays in the body. The, the guns are too powerful. Anyway, so the moment you feel anger, you identify where it is. And then you slowly breathe out and think or imagine that what you're breathing out goes into a balloon. Then you inhale through your nose. And again, breathe out through your mouth and see the balloon becoming bigger. Take another breath in. And then very slow again, breath out and see the balloon now being very, very big, you tie up the balloon and let it go and see the wind carry away the balloon. That's it. That's the best. Now, 
Did I resolve the issue of anger in your life? Of course not. I just gave you one practical tool. If you want to learn more about, about anger, as I said, go to uh, archives and on September 23rd last year, I have a whole uh, show. I spend much more time talking about anger uh, because most anger comes from judgment. And I talk uh, during that show, it's a whole hour. No, I think I talk also about arrogance. So for half an hour, I talk about anger. And if you want me to talk about more about anger, please call or write to me. You have my email address. Okay, so we move on. If I don't have callers, uh, I will move on. No callers yet. Okay, thank you. So with we, we covered so far those uh, subjects that I've mentioned, ending with anger. So what we have to cover among the uh, fifth, fifth pillar, and that is our character traits, and uh, our uh, attitudes, conscious uh, attitudes, is apathy, vanity, greed, and denial. So today I will speak about apathy. We still have like 15 minutes, so I don't know if I can cover the whole subject of apathy, uh, but let's start. I, and again, if somebody, the best of the best if is if somebody wants to call. If somebody wants to call, remember, you have an opportunity to have a free session. When I, I don't take, I'm semi-retired, mostly I send people now to my students. Uh, but once in a while I still take clients, but it's a lot of money. You have a, an opportunity to get a free session. I may not be able to resolve the whole problem. But I for sure will will start the process. I know I know how to direct you if you need help elsewhere, or how to start the process of healing. So do feel free to call anytime. But I'm going to into apathy now if nobody is calling. Now the issue of apathy is so broad. The definitions of it are so many. And the causes of apathy are so wide-ranging that it would require a separate many shows series to understand and address all the aspects of apathy. I will not talk about today about apathy, which came about from a prolonged physical illness. A person may be beaten down by the illness, exhausted, and just have given up. It's simply because it requires a whole separate hour. So I will talk about it if only if you people request it. If somebody writes to me uh, an email and said, yes, I want you to talk about that, I will prepare it and I will talk about it. Neither, neither will I address today apathy, which is a consequence of clinical depression nor will I talk about apathy that is a result of a great physical uh, or emotional trauma. 
people people who are suffering from either of those could possibly benefit from what I'm going to share with you today. But the primary catalyst to their problems must be addressed differently and uh, in their respective ways for the healing to occur. And each requires a whole program. And we can talk about it, uh, but that probably requires psychotherapeutic intervention. Uh, for the format of this show, I want to talk about something else. We have Ellie from LA. Oh, great. I will take the call from Ellie from LA. Ellie, you are on the air. Hi, it's so nice to talk to you. I love your show. Um, thank you. The reason, thank you so much, and and you do a great service by helping people, and I appreciate you taking this call. Um, the reason I am calling is because I really think anger is a subject that very few to no one wants to talk about, and I have stopped talking to my sister because she has never been held accountable. I try to talk to her, and she just blows up, and this has been going on for decades. And I had heard that I should speak in I statements, and I feel that this is happening, and, you know, I feel whatever, whatever. And she says, and she has said this several times, well, that's your problem. You're just too sensitive. And that's how she deals with it. And a couple of times I've even said, please, please, stop yelling. Your heart, if you don't care about me, at least care about your heart. So she just can't stop like a runaway train. And I just can't call her on the phone anymore. I feel her getting tense. It's like her jaw is clenched. She's forcing herself to talk to her to me when she calls maybe uh, once a year for some reason. And uh, the tension is very intense. And Can I ask you a question? Yes. Uh, when she says, you are too sensitive, what is your usual reply? Nothing. I'm, I'm just flabbergasted. Many times what comes out of her mouth, I have no response. It's like, yeah, 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 Ellie, but, but look then, you know <laughs> uh, what they say, definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. So uh, when she says, you're too sensitive, and, and I know it, it hurts, it hurts your feelings. You are who you are, Ellie. <laughs> you know, if, if you could be somebody else, you would be somebody else. That's how, so she hurts your feelings. So, uh, so th that's why you respond the way you respond. But what I'm saying is, when she says you are too sensitive, why not to say, what is her name? What's um, your sister's name? I, I, I don't even call her by her name anymore. Okay, so let, let, let's, let's not talk about it. But why not to say, you are right. I am too sensitive. And, and it hurts. That's why I'm sharing with you. If she is your older sister, so then yes. you say, 
she is older or younger? Older. Okay. So the, so you say, that's why I'm sharing with you. You are my oldest sister, and possibly, and correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe in your history together, there were good experiences. Maybe you can recall something good she did, or maybe she was teaching you something when you when you were little. And so you say, you're right. I am too sensitive. And and you're my older sister, and I'm asking you for help. Can I ask you for one favor? You, you see what we just did? Instead of being uh, angry at her, back angry, or, or shutting down, you're engaging her. If just consider the possibility of doing this, and please tell me. Maybe, maybe I'm making up a scenario that is impossible. But imagine you, you said that. That yes, yes, I am too sensitive. So, uh, and I understand that you are who you are. And I don't blame you for being who you are. Because that's how you are, the way I am too sensitive. And you are the way you are. And so you speak, uh, why should you be different than, than you, the way you are? But I am asking you for a favor to change one little thing when you talk to me. Is that possible? You see what we just did? Do you understand what we just did? I actually, what I did, I applied um, a technique that I mentioned uh, earlier by Marshall Rosenberg, written up in the book, Nonviolent Communication. I highly recommend you buy the book. And it will be enormously helpful, enormously helpful. But I want to, to offer you something else. Uh, and I will reveal just, you know, because you, you called and I would love to be helpful. I will share with you probably one of the most powerful techniques I ever created. Uh, so I will describe it to you, and then you can utilize it the way you decide you will utilize. I had uh, two sisters uh, in my office who just hated each other. First, I saw them separately. And then, you know, each was saying negative things about the other. And finally, I decided to bring them together. And so here they are, and each has a whole list of things that that uh, she has, uh, claims kind of, uh, that the other is doing and hurting her. And listen to what I do. I say to them, close your eyes. And now I want you to imagine that you're walking. It's kind of foggy. You cannot see clearly. But as the fog slowly dissipates, you realize you're at the cemetery. And at the distance, at the distance you see somebody is being buried. And as you get closer, you recognize that these are people that you know. You get even closer and you realize that the person who is being buried is your sister. How do you feel? 
what do you think? What thoughts come to you? Are there any regrets? Is there something that you would change, but now it's no longer possible? Are there words that you would like to say, but there is no one to say to? And this is just an exercise. That's that's it. I, I'm I'm stopping now doing the exercise, Ellen. Uh, I just wanted you to understand. I don't want us to run out of time. Do you understand this technique? Yes. Ironically, the last two weeks I've been thinking, what if she died first? And I know I would cry and cry, yeah. and have many regrets of things that I could have said or should have said. And I don't want it to be that way. I wish we could, you know, get along. And my mother, when she was alive, kept saying, I just want you both to get along. But let me tell you, let me tell you what happened with these two sisters. When they opened their eyes, they were both weeping and they hugged. And, And it was less than it wasn't the session was not finished and they were crying and they said thank you to me and they both said we don't need now we don't need to continue they held hands and walked out so ellen think of how you could do this exercise with her think about it tell her that you would like to do an exercise and that you will guide both of you through this exercise. How about that? Even more, if you want, because it's better that somebody else guides you, if you send me an email, and you know my email, I will make a recording for you. It's nothing for me. It's an exercise which lasts four minutes. And I will send you the exercise through email. And then you call your sister and say, listen, I, I... spoke to somebody, my, my, my relationship with you is so important to me that even though I was uncomfortable, I actually spoke to someone, you can say psychologist or whatever, and he suggested this exercise. So if you don't mind, let's do this exercise together. What do you think, Ellen? Would you like to try? So you, you think we should do this in person or over the phone? No, no, over the phone. How if you you are not in the same town? I assume, right? Um, she's within driving distance. Oh, then, then for sure, I would take the recording and say, "Can I come and visit you? There is something I would like to share with you." And then you come and tell her uh, about your experience talking to me, and that that I recorded for you an exercise. So, that's all. How about that? Well, it sounds wonderful, and I certainly would would love to do that. Send me an email, Um, because I have to, I'm sorry, I'm so happy you called, but it's already time time coming to an end, and I will have two minutes. But I I really appreciate, Ellen, that you had the courage. I know it's hard to call. It's hard to call and talk about your personal things, but I am happy you did. Because something wonderful can come out of it. 
You know, actually, for me, it's very easy to talk about this because you're you're such an easy listener. You're you're a very comfortable person. You're non-judgmental. You're you're a good listener. You know, you're you're everything that a person would want in a good therapist. So, you make it easy for us to talk to you. It's very sweet of you to say. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ellen. Remember, don't forget. Uh, get, get, send me an email. I will make the recording and send you the recording through an email. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're I appreciate welcome. it. Have Have a nice day. And now our show is coming to an end. I'm so happy that two people called, and we'll continue talking about um, the apathy uh, next time. But for now, I want to thank everyone for joining uh, this show. And I hope that you will be encouraged in the future to make more calls. And that's more than anything that I want. I want you to share with your night dreams. Remember, I work with night dreams. Uh, and it's a very useful thing to do, the most probably useful in of all therapeutic processes. And um, uh, again, once again, I, I'm looking forward to having your attention next week. Peace to all who want to live in peace.